So this morning we finish our series in the letters of John. So if you turn with me to 3 John, 3 John, we're going to be finishing from verse 11 to verse 15. So far we've seen, we've been introduced to three different characters in the book of 3 John, and that was Gaius, who the letter is addressed to, and then Diotrephes, who was the, the bad example, and then today we're going to be introduced to Demetrius, who is the, the good example. Uh, two, two weeks back, we looked at verse 9 and 10. Uh, we saw the, the bad example, and we were challenged from those verses to look at ourselves and see if there is any form of a diotrophies that, that is inside of us that is wanting the, the limelight, that is wanting the preeminence. But today's text tells us to look at other people in the church and that we need to refuse to to follow those who are evil like Diotrephes and instead the command we have from scripture is that we are to imitate those that are good. So today we are commanded to choose whether we're going to follow those who do good or those who do evil. Um, So turn with me to 3 John, we'll read the the entire chapter, and um, we're looking at verse 11 to 15 this morning. So the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth." I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Father, we pray for your help this morning as we conclude this passage, conclude this sermon series. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand, especially, Lord, how we can apply these truths from this letter to the Gaius so many years ago to our present day situation. And Father, we know your word is applicable. We know your word has been inspired even though it's been written to different people, it is, it is applicable for us. So we pray, Lord, that your word would be taught through the Spirit of God this morning and that we would open our hearts to receive the instruction and admonition from the Lord today. So we need your help and we ask this prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So the key verse in our passage this morning is verse 11. And notice what the Apostle John says. He says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So when preparing a sermon or preparing any message or Bible study, we always need to identify the imperatives. And I know this is grammar, but bear with me. This is important for us to understand the scriptures. 
We need to identify the imperatives that are in the passage of Scripture that we are studying. Now, an imperative is, is simply a command. We need to identify the command in the passage so we know what the Lord wants us to do. And the only command that we have here in the whole letter is here in verse 11. So we can safely determine that the central teaching that the Lord wants us to know is to not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Do not become a mimic of what is evil, and don't follow that model, rather do what is good. And he goes right back to the basic principle, if you look at the second part of verse 11. The one who does good is of God, the one who does evil has not seen God. It's really that simple this morning. The person who does good is of God. The person who does evil is not of God. The person who does righteousness is of God. The person who has a pattern of sin is not of God. And he's really repeating himself. We've heard this before as we've studied the letters of John. This is not a new teaching. To do good is evidence of salvation. Remember, first is the root, and then comes the fruit. There will be no fruit unless there is a root. And our root is in the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's going to be any fruit of Christ-likeness, there has to be a root that is in Christ. And we are saved. We are born again. We are redeemed in Christ in order to do good works. That's what Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, verse 10. It tells us, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So John is telling us to produce good fruit. And if we are going to do that, we need to imitate those who are producing good fruit. We are not to imitate those who are doing good. And John is just applying the moral test that he has been teaching us, that he has been applying ever since he, he wrote the, the first letter of John. And what he has been saying all along is that when the gospel is embraced by faith, there will always be a transformation of character. Our belief will always affect our behavior. What we believe will always show itself in a morally transformed life. So in a sense, John has judged the character of Diotrephes. And he's telling us to do the same, actually. He's telling us to be discerning. Look at the fruit of Diotrephes. It is evil. Don't imitate it. Just because someone calls himself a Christian does not necessarily mean they are Christian. This is the moral test. And the person who does good is of God. The person who does evil is, is not of God. And John does not see the marks of a Christian in Diotrephes. He has judged Diotrephes. And he's judged him according to the word. He does not see Christ in Diotrephes. And he tells us, do not imitate evil, but rather imitate what is good. Which leads us to our first point this morning. And the first point is the good example of Demetrius. And we see here three witnesses to Demetrius. He is the, he is the good example. And we see in verse 12 three things that testify, that witness to Demetrius' good example. Look at verse 12. John turns to Gaius and he says, But I do have a good example. It is Demetrius. And he commands Demetrius to Gaius. Sorry, he commends Demetrius to Gaius. He says, Gaius, consider Demetrius. Let me tell you three things. And here they are. He says in verse 12, the first part, First of all, he has received a good testimony from everyone. 
So what he says, here's a man whom all the brothers and sisters, all the, the members of the congregation will say, yes, this is a man who loves the gospel. He lives like a Christian ought to live. What he says and what he does is according to the scriptures, according to the gospel. His conduct, his behavior is in accordance with the, the gospel teachings. He loves the brethren. And that's what Demetrius is like. He has a good testimony to his character from the whole congregation. This is not just from a few people or just from his friends. This is from the whole congregation. But then John goes on to say something else very interesting. Look at, look at the second part of verse 12. This is the, the second point. He says, and Demetrius has received a good testimony from the truth itself. Well, what does it mean he received a good testimony from the truth? What does this mean? Well, it probably means that Demetrius's words and Demetrius's life go hand in hand. They go together in such a way that his life backs up the words that he speaks. So he's a man of integrity. His actions speak just as loud as his words. His actions do not contradict his words. His words do not contradict his actions. This is a man that can be measured by his belief, by what he, 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 he knows according to the scripture. This is a man who can be measured by the truth that he lives, not just in his head, but in his, in his life. This is a man who is loyal to the truth. And this is an ongoing pattern. This is not just a, a once-off. The truth he professes is the truth that he preaches, the truth that he, he lives. And it's self-evident for, for everybody to see. Not next week, but the week after, we are going to be starting a new sermon series. And that sermon series is called um, Hypocrisy and Grace. And we're going to be looking at the teachings from Matthew 23. What the Lord says is a, is a hypocrite. A hypocrite is really the opposite of Demetrius. A hypocrite is somebody who doesn't do what they say totally contradicts them, their, their, their words, doesn't have a good testimony, says one thing, does another thing. But Demetrius was not a hypocrite. Demetrius was a person who received a good, a good testimony from the truth itself. But thirdly, look at the third thing there that testifies to Demetrius in the end of verse 12. John says, and I testify to his character. So he has a good testimony from the Apostle John. John is saying, Demetrius' conduct balances with the, the gospel so that the truth of the gospel is seen in his life. There's no contradiction here. He must have known Demetrius um, from, um, from some other previous contact that he had. But John is saying, for all of these reasons, Gaius, look towards Demetrius, reject Diotrephes, and embrace Demetrius. Follow Demetrius' example and reject the example of Diotrephes. You see, Christian faith always has moral evidence. And ministers and leaders are placed in our lives to give evidence of the truth which they claim to believe and preach with their mouths. And remember, this is the Apostle John giving testimony to somebody, somebody's life who is living in the church. John is bearing witness to this member who is in their church. And he says, we continue to bear witness. And he says, Gaius, if you have any questions about this man, everybody will testify to his character and his faithfulness, and so will I, and so will I. The truth will testify itself. You know, as a, as a minister of religion, 
I've been asked a, a few times to be a character reference for, for somebody. Somebody wants me to, to write a testimonial so that they can put it in their, their resume or, or their CV when, when applying for a job. And that's exactly what, what John the Apostle is doing here when it comes to the, the character of Demetrius. He is testifying to his character. And John is calling on Gaius as a godly leader to follow Demetrius and not to follow the bad example of Diotrephes. And there are massive implications for us in these teachings. I just um, read a book called Authentic Faith by Gary Thomas. And in this book, he describes a friend of his by the name of Mike. And he met Mike when he went to college. Mike was a, a leader among the students. Mike had everything. He had a contagious personality. He had an athletic ability. He was handsome, good looks, and, and a natural appeal, a natural personality that people gravitated towards. And everybody wanted to be around Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. But a few years after college, Mike suffered a brain hemorrhage. And as a result, he lost everything. He lost his, his good looks, his handsome appearance was gone, his voice was, was slurred, he couldn't teach or speak properly anymore, and everything that others admired in Mike was, was now taken away. But his treatment required months of therapy, and eventually he was able to function again. But the, the effect on his body was, was devastating. Because there was a change in his body that was very evident, but there was also a change in his spirit that was very evident. Mike had come to know the Lord as his Savior, and he had put his faith in Christ. And because of this, he still attracted followers. But Mike was no longer focused on himself. He wasn't proud. He wasn't somebody who wanted the preeminence. He was, he was a humble character because of what he had just gone through. And Mike was more focused on anything. He was more focused on God than anything else in his life. And Gary Thomas says in his book, he says, in college when I was around Mike, I wanted to be like Mike. But now after spending time with Mike, I want to be more like Jesus. What a wonderful testimony. Now ask yourself today, who are you wanting to be like? Who are you wanting to mimic? And is there example helping you to be more like Christ or is there example making you be more like the world? Remember, underlying all of this, this whole teaching of John, is that the truth of the gospel needs to be spread. And it needs to be spread by us, the church. We are the ones who have this responsibility. But does your role model love the gospel? I think first and foremost, you need to ask yourself that. Does your role model have a passion for the spread of the gospel? Does he want to make God's name glorious? Does he want to magnify God's name? Or does he want to magnify his own name? I remember a missions conference I went to as a, as a youth. The theme was our heroes of the faith. And there was an opening ceremony they had in the church where all the children walked down the aisle and they were holding flags of, of different countries. And then they had the missionaries come down the aisle as well. They turned off all the lights, but all the missionaries were walking down with a, with a candle in their hand. And once all the adults were at the end of the, the aisle, at the, the church altar, they switched on the lights and the pastor said to the church, I want you to look at our missionaries. These are our heroes. 
These are our heroes. And they made a big impression on me as a youngster because I realized that these were the people who should be my role models, not the ones that, that I was following, not the ones that were, were in the world for everybody to see. But these are the people who are quietly serving the Lord almost without any fanfare. And these were the ones who had committed their lives to serving the Lord, who had given their lives for the, for the sake of the gospel. And these were the people who were worth following. These were the people who would help me keep my eyes on the Lord. Their lives were, were worth mimicking. And sadly, I think many of us waste a whole bunch of time modeling our lives after worldly personalities, after worldly heroes, after worldly sports people, after business professionals, actors, politicians. I mean, why, why should we do that when we have godly people that we should be mimicking our lives after? And that's really what, what John is, is speaking to us this morning. You know, John Newton, he's the author of their wonderful song, Amazing Grace. He was a, a minister of the gospel. He was a pastor. But before that, if you don't know his story, please go and read up about Jonathan Newton. He wrote that song, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And there's so much truth in that song because he really was blind before he became a Christian. He was so lost in his sin that he didn't understand what he was doing. He was a captain of a slave galley, a slave ship. And this ship would go around Africa and they would kidnap um, people living in Africa and they would take them as slaves and then sell them on the, on the, the market there in, in Europe. And he used to do this for a living until he saw his sins, until he realized that what he was doing was, was sin in the sight of God. And there's a wonderful story of redemption there. But he continued to minister to the Lord late into his 80s. After he became a Christian, he devoted his life to, to serve the Lord. And he continued his ministry. And his friends would, would say to him, Listen, you, you're getting older. You need to retire. Because he was already 80 years old, he was, he was blind, he was partially deaf, and, and he, couldn't, um, he couldn't do the work properly. But, but he said to his friends, I cannot stop. I cannot stop. And he said, what shall this old African blasphemer stop while he could still speak? He had years left and he wanted to use them for the, for the glory of God. But in 1806, the end of his life was coming to a close. And in his diary, he recorded his prayer and he asked God to, to help him meet his end with a, with a faithful spirit. He wanted to finish the race Faithfully, He wanted to finish well. And this is what he said in his diary. He said, Oh, for grace to meet the approach of death with a humble, thankful, resigned spirit becoming my profession, that I may not stain my character by impatience, jealousy, or any hateful temper, but may be prepared and permitted to depart in peace and hope and be enabled, if I can speak, to bear my testimony to thy faithfulness and goodness with my last breath. Amen. I mean, what a, what a prayer. I mean, that's, that's one of his last prayers that he prayed. And it's recorded in his, his diary. And all he wanted to do with his life was to tell people about God's faithfulness and God's goodness, as old as he was. And one of John Newton's friends wrote to him, and this letter has also been recorded. And in this letter, he says, I saw Mr. Newton near the closing scene. He was hardly able to talk. And all I find I noted down upon my leaving him was this. 
My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I'm a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. This is what his friend remembered Jonathan Newton saying while he was on his deathbed. He wrote this down so that he could remember the very last words of Jonathan, John Newton. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You know, Newton lived a, a life that was pleasing to the Lord once he became a believer. And he became very famous because he was so outspoken against slavery. And he was, he was a famous figure, a famous pastor. But after he died, the Times, the newspaper in England during that time, they reported his death. And there were many articles that were written about John Newton. And they talked about his unblemished life. They talk about how what a wonderful person that he was. And I'm sure John Newton would not have been pleased by the, the praises that he was receiving. Because John Newton never forgot the fact that he owed his redemption from a life of sin in Christ only because of God's mercy. He never ever wanted the glory for himself. This was a man who never wanted any preeminence. He wanted his life to reflect the glory of God and nothing else. In fact, John Newton knew this might happen. And he asked, he put in his will that the words that he writes must be put on his tombstone. He didn't want anybody else to put anything else on his tombstone. So he wrote these words on his tombstone, and you can see this tombstone still there today at Olney in um, St. Mary's Church in the UK. But these are the words that he wrote and the words that are still there on his tombstone. And he said, Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, and pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. What a wonderful, what a wonderful last will. All he was trying to do was show people how faithful his God was. All he was trying to point people to was the, the grace, the amazing grace that saved a wretch like him. This is, I say this all to, to help you see, folks, that there are people who are worth mimicking. <laughs> John Newton was somebody who could be a role model for all of us. This is the godly character that we should aspire to, to be like. People who will always point us to the, the grace of God. People who want the name of Christ to be magnified from all that they do. And this reminds me simply of what John the Baptist said in, in John chapter 3. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, does, does our life bear testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness of God? Is Christ truly our great Savior that we want people to know about? I mean, what would people say about you at your funeral? Would they talk about your great God that saved you from your sins, that turned you from the darkness into his marvelous light? I mean, do you boast in the grace of our Lord and Savior? Do you boast in other things? Do you live for Christ like he died for you, unashamed? Does Christ get the preeminence from your life? You know, we need to live for what Christ loves. And we need to be ready to die for what Christ hates. And what I mean by that is we need to die to our selfish, prideful ambitions. And we need to live for the gospel. 
We need to live for the eternal word of God. But the question really is, do we love the gospel? Is the gospel something that we value? Is the gospel something that we want to talk about? Is the gospel something that we want to share when we're with our friends? Do we have a burden for those people who are dying in their sins? Or do we just, do we just talk about the, the cricket? Do we just talk about the, the, the food that we've eaten? Or what are we talking about when we're with our friends? Our friends will die and go to hell without the gospel, folks. And the Lord has given us the gospel. We are stewards of the gospel, not to hide it under a bush, but to be proclaiming it to those around us. We need to be faithful with the truth. If we're going to follow an example, we need to be following people who love the gospel, people who give their lives sacrificially for the cause of Christ. The gospel needs to be spread. If that's ever going to happen, we need to be people who are submitted under the authority of Christ. Colossians 1.18 tells us Jesus is the one who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. There's no room for competition here, folks. Christ is the, the one who deserves the preeminence, not us. We're really not worth talking about. There's nothing actually that is, that is worth celebrating in your life in comparison to the glorious gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is what John wants us to see here. Imitate those who are, who are good. Imitate those who do good. Imitate those who, who love the gospel. And we have a bad example we have a good example. Demetrius was one of these people who were worth imitating. But we also have here in our passage a needed blessing. And that's my second point. A needed blessing. If you look at verse 13, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends every one of them. Well, the blessing is there in, in verse 13. John says that he wanted to write more to them. He has more that he wants to say to them, but he's going to communicate with them in person rather. He doesn't want anything to get lost in translation here. He says something similar at the end of, of 2 John, isn't it? He was hoping, we're told in verse 14, that, that he would see them shortly. He wants to see them face to face. Obviously, Pastor John is very concerned about this congregation. He, he loves them. He has a, an affection for them. He wants to meet with them. He understands that there's been some personality conflicts in this, in this church, and he wants to minister to them. But before he can meet them face to face, he, he leaves them with a, a word of blessing, a word of blessing. And this is, this is interesting, it's, it's, it's wonderful actually because he knows the task that is set before this church. He knows the task that is set before Gaius who he's writing to and he leaves him with a blessing so that he can perform this, this task. And John is saying, Gaius, until I get there, you need to be doing the work that you need to do. The work of the gospel. Don't let other people interfere with the work that you know you need to do for Christ. He's telling them, he knows there's division in the church. He knows that Diotrephes has caused problems in the church. And he's saying to Demetrius, I'm leaving this blessing with you so that you can do the work of uniting this church together for the sake of the gospel. You need to bring the church together in truth and in love. You have, a, you have a task ahead of you, guys. You need to make the evangelists and the missionaries feel welcome. You need to help the church understand what it means to be hospitable. 
they need to understand how to embrace the, the workers of the gospel. And this is a big task. And he says, even though I'm not going to write anything anymore, I'm going to leave you a blessing. And he gives an appropriate blessing here. Look at verse 15. He says, peace be to you. I mean, this is an appropriate blessing, isn't it? I don't think this church had a lot of peace at this time. I mean, Diotrephes was the reason for that. He was the one who was causing a lot of trouble in this church. I mean, many of the Christians were kicked out of the church just simply because Diotrephes didn't like them. He didn't want them to be sharing the gospel. He didn't want them to be supporting the workers of the gospel. You can imagine the, the disunity that was going on in this church. And he simply says to him, peace be to you. Don't be troubled by what other people are doing. Keep your focus on God. Keep your focus on what is true. And do the work that God has called you to. Now this is a, this is a really, it's an Old Testament blessing. In the Old Testament, they would greet each other with the word shalom. And the blessing shalom meant peace be upon you. But it wasn't just requesting and hoping that the hostility between two parties would, would come to an end. This was wishing much joy. This was wishing peace upon the believers. And the only way that this peace can, can take place is if there is, first and foremost, peace with God, isn't there? Nobody can have peace outside of the grace of God. And we know that we were all enemies with God at one point. But because of Christ, we have been made His friend. Because of His mercy, because of His grace, we have been reconciled to God. And we have peace that we never had before. Because of this peace, we become heirs of this wonderful inheritance. And when John says, peace be to you, he's pronouncing this Old Testament benediction. But he knows that he's referring to the wonderful gospel of Jesus on the cross who purchased our peace with his sacrifice. And folks, we are all enemies with God. We all deserve his judgment. We all deserve to be punished for our sins. While we were sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And we need to be reminded of this truth. We need to be reminded that it's only because of the gospel that we have been reconciled. It's only because of the work of Christ that we can have peace with God. And he's giving this wonderful blessing to Gaius. And John says to the whole congregation, and he says to Gaius, peace be to you. Even though there's this terrible person whose ego is, is bigger than it needs to be and causing so much trouble amongst the church, peace be to you. And there's a, a wonderful application here as we come to the end of this letter. As believers, we need to be longing for this peace. We need to be longing to come to the house of the Lord to hear these words of, of blessings. We need to be longing to come to the, the gathering of believers so that we can sing these blessings to each other, so that we can lift each other up in, in praise. We want to hear the words, Lord, Sorry, we want to hear the, the word of the Lord proclaimed. We want to hear the, the word of the Lord read. We want to be washed by the, the word of God. We want to receive these, these blessings. We need to be thirsting. We need this refreshment. We've had a long week. We are dry. We need this blessing. And John is saying, I don't have time to write anything more to you, Gaius, 
but I do have time to say this. Peace be to you. And Gaius needed this blessing just like every single one of us do. We live in a place where there is lots of turmoil, not just outside, but also inside. We live in a world that is corrupt. We live in a world where there is greed. We live in a world where there are lies spoken against us. We live in a world where there is anger. We live in places where sin affects all of our relationships. And we need peace. We need this peace with God. We need this peace in our souls. And we need to be coming to church so that we can remind each other of this blessing we have from God himself. But he doesn't end here. He doesn't end here. He says, the friends greet you. You greet the friends by name. I find that very interesting. You know, after this climate, after this, this peak, he still continues to speak words. He says, the friends greet you. This is, this is unique. John usually calls them members of the church or members of the congregation, brothers and sisters. But he's calling them here friends. This is the only time he uses the term friends. And I think it's appropriate. It's appropriate that he would do so in this congregation where perhaps friendships had been broken because of this diatrophies. And he says, the friends greet you. And then he tells him, greet the friends by name. He's being very specific here, folks. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It's right at the end here. Don't miss it. Greet the friends by name. We know the scriptures say, iron sharpens iron. And that's the principle that he's trying to leave with us here. Godly friendships sharpen each other. They are a blessing to each other. And John is reminding us of this wonderful blessing. When we are part, when we are made part of the family of God, we don't just have normal friendships, we have gospel friendships, Christian friendships. They are unique, folks, unique to the church. You won't find these friendships outside in the world. These are gospel friendships where iron sharpens iron. And this is a precious blessing. And it's one of the unique benefits of being part of the, the body of Christ. We have communion with each other through the fellowship we have with God. A unique communion. And we ought to come to the Lord's house on a Friday waiting for these blessings looking forward to being with our brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging them. How was your week? Well, it was a little, a little hard. Let me hear about it, brother. Let me pray for you, sister. Let me come alongside you and help you in your time of need. How can I be a blessing? This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to know each other's names, <laughs> not just high friend, Hi, brother, sister. We're supposed to know each other's names. We need to be praying for each other. Again, this is one of the unique benefits of being part of the, the body of Christ. We need to be longing to be a, a blessing, not just to receive a blessing. I mean, that's, that's there for all of us. But notice also that we are to be a blessing to a friend. Come to church expecting, but also come to church being willing to give, willing to serve. And I say that deliberately because it's not simply going to church so that we can get. I cannot help but think of the words of um, American President John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address as the US president, he said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Well, I think that truth needs to be 
applied in the church as well. Because coming to church is not about us. Diotrephes thought that the church was there for him and him only. Diotrephes thought that the church was there to serve him. Diotrephes thought he was the one who deserved all the preeminence. And he was wrong. He got it completely backwards. We don't come to church just to get, just to receive. We come to church so that we can also be a blessing. It's not about us. It's about our Savior that we want to point people towards. He's the one who has the answers. I not have all the answers, folks. But I know the one who does. Let me pray with you. Let me point you to him. And let me show you the hope that we have, the living hope that we have. He's not a dead hope. He is a living hope. Well, is that your desire today? Do you long for God's blessings on your friends? I'm sure you long for God's blessings on yourself. We all do. But do you long for those same blessings upon your friends? Do you long to be a gospel friend? Notice John isn't satisfied just with us greeting them. He wants us to know them by name. Can you, can you name all the people in, the, in our church this morning? I mean, we have a directory. I'm sure you know we have a directory on, we have an app on the phone. I pray through that directory so that I can learn everybody's name, so that I can know everybody in the church. I mean, do we, do we pray for each other? We've started putting people's names in the bulletin, not just so that you can have something to read, folks, so that you can pray for them by name. Maybe that's something we, we ought to start a, aspiring towards, knowing everybody's name, to be able to greet one another by name. Well, John the beloved apostle, the great apostle, the last apostle who had this amazing life with our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived into his 90s, who was now the only apostle left, who had absorbed so many friendships and relationships, still knew their names. This great apostle still knew everybody's names. And he closes out this letter by affirming how important, number one, godly friendships are. Please see that. He closes this letter by showing us how important, number two, fellowship is. Godly fellowship is that you cannot have in the world, that you cannot have outside of the church. And he closes this letter by showing us how important, number three, peace in the church is. John gives us a bad example, he gives us a good example, and he gives us a needed blessing. So let me conclude this morning with a few questions. Now, what type of, of example are you? Is your testimony true? Do people see Christ in you? Are you a faithful witness of Christ? Or are you an enemy of the gospel? And Jesus said to his disciples, and he, he says to you and to me today, you will be my witnesses. Us today, folks, are the witnesses that the Lord has appointed for this task of spreading the gospel. We are the ones that the Lord has determined to proclaim the gospel. This is our purpose. This is why we come together to encourage each other and to remind each other of the purpose that God has given to us. He hasn't saved us so that we can live our best life now. This is not our best life, folks. We have something greater to look forward to one day. While we're on this earth, there will be pain, there will be suffering. We are confronted daily with the corrupt world. But in this world, we are to shine the gospel light. Looking forward to that inheritance, that hope that we have, where we will have complete peace, where we will be with the Lord, where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more tears. 
where there will be no more bitterness, where there will be no more anger, where we will together perfectly worship the one who has delivered us and saved us from our sin. And Hebrews 10 tells us in verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he has for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is a letter about conflict. This is a letter about contention. But yet John appropriately ends the letter with an expectation for peace. And as Christians, we can and we should have a sense of peace even in the, in the middle of our difficult times because we are looking towards the day that is approaching. We are reminding each other of that wonderful day. We are reminding each other that we don't have unlimited amount of time and then we need to use the time that we have for God's glory. We need to make the days count and not waste the time that God has given to us. And Christians, we have this resource right here in the church that God has placed us in. The Lord has given the church the keys of heaven and hell. And this is where we receive those blessings, folks. And this is where we can experience this peace. If our minds are united in one, with one goal and one purpose, and that is to glorify our Lord and enjoy Him forever. And let's pray together as a church that these Diotrephus and these attitudes of Diotrephes would never allow us to break this peace that, that we enjoy as a church. Let us pray that the Lord will bind our hearts together in unity around the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That we would major on the majors. That we would look at the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we would move ahead to, with the task that He's given us. Let's pray that the Lord would bind our ambitions with one mind, that we would be making disciples of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let's pray that there will be peace in our church as we enjoy God and as we glorify Him together. May God bless His word to our hearts.